verses 1 through 6. So Deuteronomy 31, 1 through 6. And Moses went and spake these words unto all of Israel. And he said unto them, I am a hundred and twenty years old this day. I can no more go out and come in. Also, the Lord has said unto me, you shall not go over this Jordan. The Lord your God, he will go over before you, and he will destroy these nations from before you. And you shall possess them, and Joshua, he shall go before you as the Lord has said. And the Lord shall do unto them as he did to Sihon and to Og, kings of the Amorites, and unto the land of them who he destroyed. And the Lord shall give them up before your face, that you may do unto them according unto all the commandments which I have commanded you. Be strong and of good courage. Fear not, nor be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, he it is that goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we have this opportunity this morning uh, to read, to listen, to hear. And we pray that through the power of your spirit that you would open up our eyes and our ears, that we would hear what you have for each of us, Father, and that you would help us, as always, to understand and to know you better. So we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, guys, you may have a seat. So we're going to be focusing um, primarily on verse 6. So I'm going to read it again for you. Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, he is the one who goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Now, this verse requires a little bit of historical background. So let's remember uh, what's already taken place prior to this. Moses had, at the request of God, delivered the nation of Israel out of bondage in Egypt. They had set out to the promised land. God was leading them all the way, and, and he was leading them in miraculous ways, as we read in the text. And not only did God lead them along the way, but he provided for their every need. What's interesting here is that the people, they didn't just hear about these acts of God. They didn't just hear about what was going on. They experienced it for themselves, which is what happens next and becomes so puzzling. You can read the account in Numbers chapter 13. So picture this. Anybody ever see the, the, the Cecil B. DeMille Ten Commandments? I mean, I'm dating myself, but that was, that was the big thing back then. And, um, but the idea was, if you think about this, here Moses is leading a couple million people out of 400 years of bondage in Egypt. And you see the, the, the parade heading out into the desert, providing for all these people, taking care of all these people. God was in charge. And if you see that and you think of that epic scene going on here, what God was doing all along the path, and we read it throughout the, the text, um, the people experience this, and yet this is what takes place. So they've been traveling 
through the desert at this stage of the game. Um, They've been traveling through the desert at least two years, right? They spend time going to Sinai. They spend some time at Sinai. They trek from Sinai out to Kadesh Barnea, which was really the place where they were going to enter into the promised land. And at this point is where this text is taking place. But I want to look at Numbers chapter 13. At this point, the first time in here, it says Moses appointed 12 spies. So he appoints 12 spies to go up to the promised land and bring back a report. They spend 40 days there visiting, looking, um, finding, and then they return. They brought back samples of produce, and they verified that surely the land was flowing with milk and honey, just as promised by God. But then we read this in verse 28. Nevertheless, nevertheless, so think about this. The spies, there's 12 of them. They're going out into the land. They spy out the land. They see that it's good, right? They see other things that we're going to talk about here. But they see that the land is good, just as God has promised. And they come back to give the report. And it says, nevertheless, this is what they say. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. And then we look at verse 30, and it says, Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses, and he said, Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. So here the spies go in. A group of them are coming back and they're saying, hey, there's lots of big cities here. They're very well fortified. Uh, These descendants of Anak are here. And and Caleb is in the face of this saying, hey, guys, we are able to overcome it. Why was Caleb thinking or saying that? Because he recognized that God had sent them, that God had tasked them with this, that God was leading them. He had not forgotten what God did in the wilderness for them. And he was saying, we can do this, guys. We can take this. But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report. And then we see this famous verse 33. There we saw giants, and we are like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we are in their sight. So the report is, hey, we we see these giants in the land. We see these fortified cities. We see how strong they are. They're a lot stronger than we are. We can't go in. We can't go in. So they give Israel this bad report because of their unbelief, though, because of their unbelief and their lack of trust and his sufficiency and in his power based on this report They were then refused entry into the promised land. They continued another 38 years there on the outskirts in the wilderness of Kadesh Barnea. Another 38 years until all the men of war above the age of 20 were dead with the exception of Caleb and Joshua. So I'm going to pray once more. Father, we just ask that as we look into this text Father, that we would see you for who you are, that we would see how great you are, that we would see your promises, and Father, that you would speak to our hearts 
In Jesus' name, amen. So we look at 31 verse 6 then. So this is going on 38 years later, right? So they had that initial trek, right? They spent a couple of years going on their way to Kadesh Barnea. They get to Kadesh Barnea. They get there and they decide, wow, this is going to be a little bit too difficult for us. So we're not going to um, pursue this. So now 38 years later, Moses, and this is where this verse picks up, Moses is addressing the people. Now, 38 years later, after all the men of war over the age of 20 are dead, Moses is saying, this is the time. Now it has come to take the promises of God, to enter into the land flowing with milk and honey. But they were going to need courage and faith and above all, a complete dependence and trust in God. So let's take a look at this great verse of encouragement. So first we see here that Moses tells them that they need to be strong. They need to be strong. This word not only signifies physical strength, what we're used to seeing, but it's an emotional resolve that's unshaken. They were going to face many challenges and obstacles and many temptations, and they needed to be steadfast in both their physical strength and their emotional resolve if they were going to succeed and navigate this time successfully. I mean, life, when you think of it, has a way of throwing us curveballs, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Loss of jobs, loss of health, loss of relationships, unexpected events that we would rather not face. But the reality is, none of us can avoid them. So the real question in the face of the inevitable is how do we navigate them and face them successfully? In other words, as the scripture teaches, in this world there will be trouble. So what are we to do? Well, if we look at the text, number one, we are to be strong, not only physically but emotionally resolute, but not relying on our own strength, which is as we know, as we saw the men of Israel facing the giants, they knew that their own strength was utterly inadequate to carry them through. And thus we know that in our own strength, it is utterly inadequate to carry us through. You see those 10 spies that advised against crossing over the Jordan, they were weighing this with their own strength. They were weighing their own strength against what seemed to them overwhelming odds, and they found their own strength lacking. Have you ever watched the, the, the world's strongest man competition? I used to watch that. I remember back, I was in high school, and it was like on Channel 7, the ABC Sports, right? And they had um, these strongest men competitions. They're still going on. But um, these guys are huge, right? They're like 6'5", 6'7", 380, 425. I mean, these men are huge. And they can perform incredible feats of physical strength. I mean, they lift cars. They pull planes. They carry 400 to 500 stones, blocks, pounds. Unbelievably strong. But even the strongest of them will come face to face with their own limitations. Even the strongest of them are going to come face to face with their own limitations. But 
What if we could draw strength from an unlimited source? What if we could draw strength from an unlimited source? This is what Moses was telling his people. He was saying, don't just look to yourselves, but look to the one of infinite strength. He can see you through. Not only does he tell them to be strong, but also to be of good courage. To be of good courage. Which carries with it the meaning greater than just bravery. I mean, listen to the words used in Strong's Concordance to define this. Brave, bold, determined, firm, persistent. They would need every one of those words to accomplish the task God had laid before them. You know, as I was reading this verse, I couldn't help but thinking about how the people were receiving Moses' words. They had just come to the end of a 38-year wait. And I'm sure in that time, some had grown comfortable in uh, their current situation. Though they were not living in the promised land, they were probably not lacking in anything. We don't have any evidence of that since the scriptures remain pretty much silent of the 38 years in the surrounding regions of Kadesh Barnea, but we do know that God had not left them. Neither had Moses or leader. And now it was time to move and face the uncertainty of the promised land, a land that their forefathers cowered to enter in. You know, for many years, I was thinking about this, like what would that look like and, and, and what were they facing? And many years, um, I did not particularly care for flying, Andrew. I viewed it as a necessary evil. Still did it, but I didn't like it. I don't know how many of you guys are like that, but I never really, really loved flying, but it was something that we had to do. But the closer I got to the flight, the greater my level of anxiety. You see, when I booked a flight three months out, I felt pretty good. As I got within weeks, I could feel myself thinking about it a little bit more often. Then a week and a few days, I would start checking the weather. I checked the wind speed, the turbulence maps, which are available. At that point, I would need to be encouraged. So I would read articles on turbulence and flight safety written by pilots. You see, I needed to be reassured that it was going to be okay. Here we see it's game time for the nation of Israel. Excitement? Sure. But more than likely from this verse, it was fear and anxiety. For it reads, be strong and of good courage. Fear not, nor be afraid of them. You see, they had heard the stories left by the forefathers, the fortified cities, the strong men, the, the giants in the land, the strength of the inhabitants. But now the inevitable had come, and it was time to take the land, and they were afraid. However, the beauty of this verse lies in the next few things written. He says, be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, for the Lord your God, he is the one that goes with you. You see, Moses wasn't just telling them to be strong and not to be afraid. Because in reality, the uncertainty of the coming event warranted them to be fearful. No, Moses gave them a reason for not being afraid. He tells them, for the Lord, Jehovah, the existent one, the one true God, 
the maker of the heavens and the earth, the one who had delivered them from slavery, the one who had parted the sea for them, the one who had destroyed the Egyptian pursuers, the one who had led them by night in a pillar of fire and shaded them by day in a cloud, the one who provided for their every need with manna and water and meat. It was he that was going to go with them. And if that wasn't enough, Moses calls him Jehovah Elohim, the Lord your God, the supreme ruler, the all-powerful, the almighty one. He is the God going with you, so do not fear. Though they were going to face the unexpected, the uncertain, they were being reassured that God had declared that he would go with them to lead them and to guide them. See, this is a promise in principle, though made to the nation of Israel while wandering in the desert on the the, the verge of the promised land. It still applies to us today when we're facing uncertain times, unexpected events, failures, challenges, which we all face. And if we're not facing currently, we will face. That same God, that same God, For he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. That same God goes with us. Listen to these promises from Scripture. Be encouraged. Isaiah 41.10. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Matthew 28.20 teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. These are beautiful passages, beautiful scripture that reminds us that God is with us, that God is with us. Psalm 23, 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. John 14, 16 17, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him for he dwells with you and in you. You see, he's not left us in the midst of our trials. He's with us through it all. We just need to keep remembering to lift our eyes up to the hill, which is where our help comes from, and not to focus on the circumstances. You see, the forefathers that failed to enter into the promised land, they were focuses on the challenge ahead instead of on the one who could lead them through the challenges. And so they faltered. I'm going to say that part again, all right? They were focused on the challenge ahead instead of on the one who could lead them through the challenge. And so they faltered. They had their eyes on the wrong thing. They had their eyes on the circumstance. They had the eyes on what they could see instead of on the one that they should have had their eyes on. And that's the same admonition to all of us. When we're going through trials or circumstances or hard times and we don't know what to do or where to go, and we start to get dismayed and discouraged, chances are we're looking at the circumstance. 
we're looking at the circumstance and then we're measuring our own strength, which is incapable to meet up the challenge that's ahead. And yet if we would keep our eyes on him and we would look to him above our circumstances, then we would see the great promises of God that I will never leave you, I'll never forsake you, that I am with you always. So if you're a believer in the one true God, if you've accepted Christ as your Savior, then this verse should fill you with hope and courage through the trial you're currently facing or the trials to come. But let me take a moment to address the not-so-obvious. If you do not have a personal relationship with the one true God, if you're still going at this alone, thinking that you are sufficient, thinking that your strength is enough, just like the forefathers that failed to gain entrance into the promised land and were destined to remain in Kadesh Barnea until their death, then this verse should have you quaking in your boots. Your good works, your good efforts, all those things that you're trying, they're not sufficient to gain access to the future promised land, which is heaven. The Bible teaches us that mankind has a problem. And we're part of mankind, so we have a problem. And that problem separates him from God and therefore access to heaven. And the problem is called sin. See, every single one of us is dealing with the same problem. We can't be good enough to deserve God's favor because we're sinners. The scripture teaches that. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's us. We're part of the all. And because of that sin, because of that sin, there needed to be a payment. The scripture says the wages for sin, the wages for sin is death. All right? So here we go. We're sinners. The wage for sin is death. We deserve death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. See, he provided the way. Christ died on the cross because we couldn't do it on our own. We can't access heaven. We can't access the Father in our own strength and because we do good. I mean, I know I could look out here. I know there's lots of good people, right? A lot of good people do a lot of good things. But in all that goodness and all those good things, we still can't access the Father based on our own merits. That's why Jesus died. He went to the cross. He shed his precious blood as payment, as atonement for the sins of mankind. That if we would just put our trust in him, if we would put our faith in him, then we could have access to the Father and gain access to heaven when we die. Right? Because we're all going to die. It's going to happen. And we're going to stand face to face with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And the only way we have access is going to be through Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. So are you trusting in Jesus? Are you trusting in yourself? Now finally, Moses ends this verse with this great promise. He will never leave you nor forsake you. This was a promise to the nation of Israel. This was a promise they were to receive, not just for the time being, but as they crossed the river, but also for eternity. They were to know 
that as they went into the land, promised to them that they were to face those giants and those fortified cities and those strong inhabitants and those strong armies, that their God, the existent one, the supreme ruler, the one true God, the almighty, the all-powerful, he would be with them and he would not leave them nor forsake them. Wow, what a beautiful promise. And what a beautiful testimony in the midst of our challenges, in our storms, in our trials, in our heartaches, which I know are many, that he will never leave us nor forsake us. Do you believe this? And as we see in the later chapters of this book and throughout the pages of the book of Joshua, God does just what he promised to do, to go with them, to go before them, to lead them, to guide them. And as long as they kept their eyes on him, they were able to persevere. When they turned from him and they trusted in their own strength, they failed. So many times, many times, so many times, we tend to hastily judge our circumstances based on what we see, not on the promises of God. And so we faint. We get discouraged. But the scriptures teach us that God is never changing. He's never changing. The same God written and described in the pages of this book. That's the same God in relationship with us today. His ways are beyond our ways. His timing is often not our timing. Nevertheless, nevertheless, he is steadfast and faithful. I recently read a story about a missionary named William Leslie. I'm going to read it to you. It's a pretty neat account. It says, Dr. William Leslie was a pharmacist in Ontario, Canada in 1888. After his conversion to Christ, he worked for 35 years as a medical missionary with the American Baptist Missionary Union. During the last 17 years of his ministry, William worked in the Democratic Republic of the Congo among the tribal people in a remote area of the world. He returned from the mission field in 1929, and until his death in 1938, William believed his ministry in the Congo was largely a failure. However, that all changed in 2010 when a group made up of members of Tom Cox World Ministries and Mission Aviation Fellowship visited the area of the Congo where Williams had ministered decades earlier. After arriving in Vanga, where Williams had set up his base, the group decided to visit the Yancey tribe located across the Quilu River. It was a region that William had only visited sporadically about once a year. The leader, Eric Ramsey, of the Tom Cox World Ministries was shocked by what they found. Ramsey said, when we got in there, we found a network of reproducing churches throughout the jungle. Each village had its own gospel choir. Although they wouldn't call it that, they wrote their own songs and would have sing-offs from village to village. Ramsey and his team visited eight villages in the area, and each of them had a church. He noted that in one village, the tribe had built a stone church that could seat a thousand people. That church was built in the 1980s, but with this building filling up and people walking long distances to attend services, the leadership decided to start churches in other villages. After finding this amazing group of churches, Ramsey did more research on Williams' ministry. 
He had arrived in the region in 1912 and set up a base, a base in Vanga. However, he had failed, and he had a falling out, I'm sorry, he had a falling out with one of the leaders of the main tribe he was ministering to and was asked to leave. Though William and the tribal leader eventually reconciled, William looked upon his time of ministry as falling short of what he believed God had for the area. It took some digging for Ramsey to uncover Leslie's identity. The tribal people only knew him by one name and didn't know that if it was his first name or his last. They knew he was a Baptist and that he was based in one city, and they knew um, how many years. His goal was to spread Christianity. He felt like he was there for 17 years, and he never really made a big impact. But the legacy he left was huge. You see, just because we don't see it doesn't mean God is not working all things out for his glory. Oftentimes we pray, right? We pray and we pray in the midst of our circumstances, in the midst of our trials, in the midst of whatever is, is breaking our hearts, right? Our heartaches, our heartbreaks, families, all these things. We pray and we pray and we get discouraged because we don't see, because we don't see. And like Williams here, we think, wow, unanswered prayer. God is not working. All along, his timing is different. All along, he's working for his glory. We need to trust in him, and we need to trust in the scriptures and the accounts in scripture. That's why he gave us this book, and not trust in our own feelings and our own circumstances and what we see and what we think is taking place and leave it in the hands of an almighty God, an almighty God who has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ as your Savior, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ, if you don't know what that means, um, I would beg you, don't leave this place without finding out. Make an informed decision. He loves you. He died for you. He wants to give you access to heaven for eternity where you could praise him forever and ever and not live separated from him forever and ever. So if you don't know Christ as your Savior, at the end of the service, uh, I'm going to give you an opportunity to come forward and speak to one of us. I would love to show you through the Scriptures. If you're embarrassed to come forward, I'm okay with that. But just make sure you talk to me before the service ends and understand what it means to accept Christ as your Savior. It's the most important decision you could ever make. And if you're not sure, if I were to ask you today, um, if you were to die today and you don't know where you would be going or your answer is, well, I sure hope I'm going to heaven, and then you're not sure, please speak to me. It's really important. The most important thing you can do in your life is settle your salvation. Where will you spend eternity? And for those of us that are here, um, we know Christ as our Savior, um, but we're facing challenges and trials and um, what seems insurmountable events in our life. Be encouraged by the scriptures. Be encouraged by the scriptures. Right? As Moses would say, be strong and of good courage. Fear not. Be not afraid. For the Lord your God, it's he that goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. And as they get ready and as they get set, um, I'm going to leave you with a couple of challenges. And these are the challenges. Number one, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, 
Repent from your sins, turn from yourself, and turn to him. And if you're trusting in your own strength to get through a circumstance, don't do that either. Trust in him. He'll carry you through, but you have to lean on him. And as the worship team worships, I'm going to invite you guys to worship with us. Um, If you'd like to come forward and worship, if you'd like to use the the front and just talk to God, you can do that. Um, But like I always say, um, every message should follow with a challenge, and a challenge needs to be responded to. Either respond to the challenges or you don't, but that's still a response. So let's stand up as we worship. Feel free to come forward to the altar and worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He's the one that's worthy of all our praise and all our worship. And be encouraged by this word today.